World of Blazing brings you a podcast based on truth, spoken boldly. Join the man on fire, John Sublon, as he takes on issues of faith and culture, always faithful, always real. This is True Faith, Real Talk, and now the man on fire, John Sublon. Welcome to another episode of True Faith, Real Talk. This is your host, the man on fire, John Sablon of johnsablon.com. In today's segment, we're going to be talking about transformation, specifically what God can do to your life when you allow him to transform your life. And my guest today has an amazing story, um, so many elements to it. So we're going to try to get to most of those in, in some way, shape or form. Um, but I want to welcome my guest today, Miss Kelly Nieto. Hey, Kelly. Hey, John. I, I love how you pronounce my name. <laughs> Is it right? No. Oh, there you go. But I was going to let you do that because everybody pronounces it that way. And I always I always tell people, no, 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 I am not related to the president of Mexico. He's Nieto, right? He talks politics. It gets like a 12% approval rating. I talk Jesus. I get 100%, right? There you go. So, but um, I always tell the kids, you know, when people get it wrong, you just say, you know, it's Nito, like cool and wow. Neato. Isn't that awesome? That is yeah. awesome. That is awesome. If if you were if you're as old as I am, you will remember. And then my kids are like, "Mom, that's not cool. Nobody says that anymore." I'm like, "Hey, my generation says this. We're neato, Mrs. Cool, Mrs. Wow." <laughs> so that must have been a, a nice little classroom joke all the time, right? If they got it right, like, "Hey, you're you're pretty neato, Miss Neato." Yeah, well, well, but so Mrs. Neato, I met my husband. And I'll never forget, I was dating his best friend. Uh-huh. And and I heard about this guy named Dominic Nito. And I'm thinking, wow, tall, dark, and handsome, right? I, I could marry the guy and it would be Mrs. Cool, Mrs. Wow. And and so I, I'm at a wedding and this man steps at the end of the table and he's tall, dark, and handsome. He says, I'm Lauren. I'm tall, dark, and handsome. And I thought, oh, I thought that was Dominic. And then this guy pushes him over and he's only five foot nine. He goes, and I'm just plain handsome, <laughs> right? So, <laughs> and that was Mr. Nito. Oh. A, year, a year later, we were married. So it was it was written in the stars. Yeah, there you go. So let's. Um, so we talked about this a little bit before we started the interview. And uh, me and my partner in crime, Brian Kravick of Possibility Productions, are uh, excited about bringing you out for our second annual family conference, the Relentless Conference, and. <laughs> That the, the theme behind that is conversion. So you're one of the, the, the five speaker lineup that has an, a crazy, amazing story. So our, our challenge for today, my dear sister, is to <laughs> not give all of that away, um, but to still give us the Reader Digest version. And if those of you out there listening or watching, um, you need to come to the Relentless Conference here in your Northern yeah. California, right? It's, it's the conference to come in, come to um, if you want to, if you really want to uh, grow in your spirituality and hear some amazing stories of how God can work in your life life. So that being said, Kelly, I don't want to steer your thunder. You are an amazing storyteller. You got your high energy, high octane like me. So um, I, I didn't want to do you a disservice and try to, you know, read you, read your bio. So why don't you give uh, my listeners, my viewers, uh, a little bit of background on you, a little bit about your journey and where you are today. All right. So you're a man on fire. Yes. I'm a woman. I'm a woman ablaze. Hey, there you go. Right. <laughs> so you know, it is a crazy story. I spent 35 years wanting absolutely nothing to do with God. Mm-hmm. I uh, didn't believe Jesus even existed. And I had a great disdain for the Catholic Church. Mm-hmm. And um, 
I was heavily involved in the new age, uh, like we talked about. I mean, I was a new age princess, having visions, you know, praying to the white light and um, worked with a trans channeler out in Los Angeles. She's the psychic to the stars. Wow. Um, Char um, was trained back home by uh, a, another uh, psychic trans channeler. I was heavily involved in all this stuff. It was so bad, John, that after my conversion, and after I became a Catholic, mm-hmm. our home had to be exercised. Oh, it was oh, a yeah. serious, serious problem. We had psychics and seances in our home oh. all the time. Yeah, it, it was bad. So oh. it, it, one word of warning, burn those Ouija boards, get them out of your house. That stuff is real and you are playing with fire. Yeah. God is the creator of the universe. Mm-hmm. So think about it. Why would you go to a human person to ask them about your future when you can talk to the creator of the universe who knit you in your mother's womb? Yeah. I mean, think about it. He knows not only every moment of your life, but he sees it all. Mm-hmm. He knows the day of your, your conception. He knows your death. He has been there with you every step of the way. And yet we go to humans and psychics because... We want to know what the future, if we're, we're going to get that job, I would much prefer to go to the creator of the universe, a father who loves me mm-hmm. and calls me to crawl up on his lap so mm-hmm. that he can love me. Amen. So just on that point real quick, especially for the listeners and the viewers, since you brought that piece up, because, you know, the culture has done a really good job, right, of really normalizing uh, new age and just the things of of the uh, the other side of what really is it's counter it's really counter god counter church um counter who god is as creator of the universe but one of the things just to kind of add to that that i knew in my own spiritual walk because um one of one of my major conversion moments was in the confessional but where when i was giving it all to the priest he did the deliverance prayer over me right which is a minor exorcism and and from that point it was just like i would chains were broken and things that I didn't realize uh, I was in bondage to. And the reason I bring that up is because, you know, uh, just a short time thereafter that experience, I read a book um, published by Catholic Answers, Father Mike Driscoll, who uh, I think he's a psychiatrist. But he, anyways, he worked with a lot of exorcists. But he, he summarized the three most common ways that the devil and demons enter into our life. And the first one was um, habitual sin, right? It's the easiest way. It's a, it's a way to get us all, right? We're, we're, we have a natural inclination to sin called concupiscence. So that's the first way. But the second way was trauma and abuse. But the third way was the occult, right? Yeah. So, so when people are playing around with Ouija boards and, and messing around with Charlie Charlie or whatever it is you think you're doing, I'm um, even I'm going to upset probably a lot of people, even when you start to mess around with yoga and all this other stuff. Right. Um, that that essentially opens the door. You don't have to believe it for it to be real. Exactly. Right? Good right. point. Right. So so you may think, oh, I don't you know what, John, it doesn't it. I'm not it's doing it. it for that. Right. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and it's like mm, you're, you're still leaving the door open. Right. You got you've got that door wide open to the demon, the devil, and, and all the ploy to trick, basically steal your soul. So just to kind of to, to emphasize what you just stated is y'all need to leave that stuff alone. You need to go to, <laughs> to the one true shepherd, the, to our Lord, to our God, who wants nothing else than for you to experience joy and peace and, and for him to abide in you and, and you to abide in him. So anyways, I am glad you're on this side. Um, I was getting a little worried um, when Me you start too. telling me. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, and, and you know what? It, it is a slippery slope. And I remember being fascinated as a kid. Mm. Um, I, you know, I, I had a lot of suffering in my life. And when you when you don't know about God, when you don't understand that there is purpose for all of the things that happen to you in your life, mm-hmm. um, it, it can really take a toll on you as a kid. I had a lot of illness. I had Rye syndrome, encephalitis. I was hospitalized for weeks. Um, it was an epidemic in Detroit at the time when I was 12 years old, the little girl next to me died. And so I'll never forget waking up and Tamara was her name and her mother would, would come and comb her hair. And the next morning she was no longer there. Um, and so I was lucky to have, um, to have survived that horrible disease um, but I had a lot of pain in my life because of it. Fibromyalgia, um, my knees, the joints, the fluid in my joints had crystallized. And my joints looked like the size of grapefruits, you know, all through school. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I was, I had migraines. I was suffering all the time. And I remember suffering made no sense. And I contemplated taking my life several times mm-hmm. as a kid, as a, as a young teen, um, and in school, and my mother was an atheist at the time. She's an amazing woman. She's got such a loving heart, but she didn't know any better. Mm-hmm. But she was an atheist. My father was a Lutheran who we went to church when we were little, but we never, ever spoke the word Jesus in my home. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking to myself, you know, we'd go to Christmas and Christmas to me meant presents and I'd get a new dress. <laughs> Woohoo! Easter meant I got the hat, mm-hmm. I got the black patent leather shoes, and I and I got a new dress. I mean, we were not rich, not wealthy, actually kind of poor. Mm-hmm. And so to me, that was really the only thing I knew about about God. Mm-hmm. And um, it didn't make much sense when you're suffering. Yeah. Being a Catholic now and having a crucifix that I look at every day and mm-hmm. pray in front of, I understand the significance of our suffering, that that Romans 8.28, all things work for good mm-hmm. for those who love the Lord. And even in those darkest moments, God can bring great good mm-hmm. out of evil, out of suffering. Mm-hmm. Does he want us to suffer? No. But when we submit, when we embrace the moment and say, Lord, I, I may not understand this, but I abandon my life to you. Mm-hmm. And if this suffering in some way can help someone in the world, and I could offer this to you on the cross because of your great suffering for me, then that is a redemptive sort of love and abandonment that, that makes sense of suffering. Mm-hmm. C.S. Lewis once said that uh, suffering is a megaphone to rouse a dulled world. Think about it. Mm-hmm. I mean, when everything goes well, you know, in life, who needs God? If you can switch on a, a light switch, you get light. If You know, if you're cold, you switch another switch and you get heat. Mm-hmm. I mean, everything is so easy in our lives. Mm-hmm. But when we suffer, who do we go to? Mm-hmm. So suffering can really actually help people find God in that moment. What do they say? Like in the trenches, there's no atheists in the foxhole. That's right. right? <laughs> yeah. So let's, okay. So let's talk about, obviously suffering is being a part of your life, but what do you have the the St. Paul moment? On, was there a road to Damascus moment for you? Or or was this a process uh, over time? Uh, or was it both? I mean, and we know about on, you know ongoing conversion. But what was it for Kelly that did it, that did it for you to, to, to knock you off your horse? Um, and, and, and now to where you you live a life, you started your own apostolate. You're, you're, you're preaching the gospel out there to everybody that'll listen, that has ears to listen. 
Yeah, crazy. God writes the greatest stories. I always tell the kids, man, he made Robin Williams and Richard Pryor. Of course, heaven's going to be hilarious, right? <laughs> I mean, think about that. Yeah. yeah. So, so, yeah, there is a moment in time where, um, oh, it's hard to go back to because it's really painful. Mm-hmm. I had my first child, Casey, changed my life. Um, I understood for the first time what true love was. Mm -hmm. And I remember holding this baby just instinctually knowing as a mother that I don't even know this child and I would die for her. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, that was my first moment of understanding true love. Mm -hmm. We had our second child. Um, I had everything that the world tells you you should have. Right. I had fame and fortune and a hockey playing husband and a house bigger than I had lived in. Um, I was on the road as a performer. It was such a glamorous life from the outside. Mm -hmm. I was totally miserable on the inside. I was suffering from severe depression. Mm -hmm. And um, it, it was a time in my life that was extremely difficult because I had everything I thought would make me happy. And underneath, I was sinking into this deep, dark depression. Um, Then I was told my mother was going to die. At the time, my mother's an atheist. So I'm at the University of Michigan Hospital on all fours in a bathroom. How glamorous is that, right? You never want to be on all fours in a University of Michigan Hospital, for heaven's sakes. (laughs) So I'm there crying out to a God that I had rejected my entire life. And I said, I don't know who you are. I don't know what you are. But if you keep her alive, show me the truth. I will give you every last breath. And John, let me tell you, I did not want it to be that guy on the crucifix. Mm -hmm. I was hoping it was the chubby guy in the diaper, the Buddha (laughs) guy, right? Because clearly that guy doesn't worry about fashion and he doesn't diet. And I'm like, that's the kind of God I want, right? But but instead, people came out of the woodwork. It was like, uh, I mean, it was crazy. For six months, no matter where I went, people came out of the woodwork testifying about Jesus and how he transformed their lives. And it's wow. it's crucial that us Catholics start telling our story. Mm-hmm. Everyone that testified to me told me just an ordinary story. They didn't tell me about theology. Mm-hmm. They didn't take me back into the Bible. They didn't hammer me with Bible verses. What did they do? They said, I was lost. Mm-hmm. I was broken. My life made no sense mm-hmm. until I found Jesus. And then they went into detail and they explained it in such a personal, beautiful way. I wanted what they had. I had it all from the world's perspective. And I was dying inside. What did I lack? I lacked peace and purpose in my life. Mm -hmm. So I believe that God puts this hole in our heart that only he can fill. And if you don't have peace, then you don't know Jesus because a, a nun in Rhode Island, she's so beautiful, Sister Eminem. She's about this wide and she was hilarious, man. She comes up to me and she goes, here's what I tell my kids, Kelly. I love your story. Remember this, Jesus is peace. Mm-hmm. When you don't have peace, you don't have Jesus. Mm-hmm. Get back to the peace. Get back to him. That's all you have to remember in this world. Mm-hmm. And I keep thinking about that. And, you know, we as Catholics, we intellectualize the faith in such a way. Yes, 
It's important. Yeah. I started going to the seminary. I wanted to be a theologian and an apologist. You know, I love typology and I love sacred scripture. Mm-hmm. But sometimes, well, a lot of times in the U.S., us Catholics, we intellectualize our faiths mm-hmm. to such an extent that we forget about the heart. Mm-hmm. And Jesus spoke to the heart. And if you look up in the 1991 Go and Make Disciples, it's um, from the NAB, mm-hmm. National Association of, of Bishops, and they were talking about, about evangelization. And it's when the word of Jesus speaks to the heart and the mind. You have to have both. Mm-hmm. You can't just have a feeling. You have to then nurture the feeling and support the feeling with the theology and the intellectual side of it. But yes, so many of us get on this spiritual merry-go-round because we're immersed in a moment where we're overcome with the presence of God. And that brings me to tears. And that is a feeling that transforms you. And you want more. When you encounter God, you want more. And it makes you search for that more. Yeah. And that's what happened to me that day. So, okay. So that, and I, and I agree with you. I think, um, you know, there are those, uh, I would say primarily those that come into the church from a, you know, cause I know plenty of good, um, Protestants who were converts who already had a personal relationship with Jesus. They loved the Lord. And then they came into the church for, because they believed it was the one true church. And, and some of that yes. was an intellectual conversion by reading the, the early church fathers. Um, f- perhaps it was a philosoph, you know, you know, as they dove into philosophy and, you know, the, the great thinkers like, uh, you know, Socrates or Aristotle. Um, and so I know there are those out there, but that's kind of the, 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 the smaller percentage versus those that need to get, they need to have the relationship before the scholarship. Because I'm with you. Like I, I got, I got knocked off my horse. I, I, I came to a relationship with our Lord and then now I can't learn enough. Right. I, I like my real job gets in the way of me trying to, you know, no kidding. <laughs> Get, but you gotta, you gotta put food on the that's table. That's right. Dude. That's right. But I, but you know, I, I was like, man, I just cannot stop consuming everything about scripture, everything about our faith. Um, we have such a beautiful tradition and so much richness to our Catholic faith, right? So um, I'm with you on that. But let's go back to that moment. So because here you are, basically, you know, uh, surrendering to God. Hey, you're kind of negotiating, right? You're in that you're in that negotiating moment, like, hey, bartering, man. Yeah, yeah. I'm- A lot of people people have bartered like this, I find. A lot of people have said to me, oh my gosh, that was me too. I I think that Gus Lloyd, one of his children, they were dying and he bartered for her life. And I mean, this is a moment, like you said, you just, you have nothing else. You're in the foxhole of life Mm -hmm. and you will do anything for your kids or your mom. Mm -hmm. And that abandonment, you can only see, you know, can't you see the saints in heaven like, you know, our, you know, the Archangel Michael doing the moonwalk going, <laughs> Yahoo, this is a prayer we can work with. Because mm-hmm. I said, I don't care who you are, what you are, but I will give you my life mm-hmm. if. And they're like, OK, we can work with that. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And it was my spiritual high horse. It was my arrogance that got in the way of finding God all those years. Mm-hmm. Normally, so, that, that, that pride, right? That pride thing. Uh, yeah, so it's when you brought up the Paul thing, the mm-hmm. Paul and that that uh, uh, knocking him off the, uh, the horse, yeah. I call it knocking it off my high horse moment. So, mm-hmm. yeah, you and I understand that. Yeah, okay, so... So th- was that an overnight? So what happened at that moment, right? So so your mom, so, your mom is yeah. ill. She's getting ready to die. You offer up this prayer. You're on you're on on all fours, begging for this God out there. What what happens next at that moment? 
So six months, people are coming out of the woodwork. I happen to be in a preschool class um, where my oldest daughter was and her good friend um, was this beautiful little girl. And the mom and I were getting the class ready for the Christmas party. Mm. And I said to her, oh, yeah, we're, we're doing the Christmas party. You want to help? And she goes, well, we can't call it Christmas party. They're calling it the Winterfest. Oh. And this is 20 years ago. And I said, Whoa. what are you talking about? And she said, well, are you a Christian? And I said, no, I'm not. Are you? And she said, yeah. Now, this woman, now imagine this, right? I come off the road. I'm this Miss America chick, right? Mm-hmm. And in the 80s, we had the big hair, the false eyelashes, <laughs> the, the shoulder pads, you know, everything, poly, poly fiber foam. We're into glamour and sequins and high heels, right? Mm-hmm. So she has short haircut, doesn't wear any makeup, wears the same pair of jeans every every day, has this little car held together by Jesus stickers, and nothing she had, you know, was anything that I valued in life, right? Mm-hmm. And yet she had something really powerful. She had this sense of peace about her. Mm-hmm. And she, I didn't know it, but she was an ex-Catholic who had become a born-again Baptist and had prayed all summer long with her Bible study that she could be, that she could lead someone to Christ. Mm-hmm. So here I'm the first one, right? Woohoo! And I say, "Are you, are you a Christian?" And she just very nonchalantly says, "Yeah." I said, "Well, I got some questions." And she goes, "Well, do you want to come over for coffee?" So I drive to her house, and I'm thinking, "All right." And then we get to this little house. My house is ten times the size, and we walk into the living room, and the whole living room is there's no furniture. It's like blue and pink toys everywhere, right? Mm-hmm. And we go into the kitchen. It's a linoleum floor. I'm thinking, linoleum? Who has a linoleum floor? I'm such a snob, mm-hmm. right? Uh-huh. And, and I sit down. It was really the worst cup of coffee I'd ever had at a card table in her kitchen. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, what am I doing here? Well, she sits down and I asked her one question. I said, okay, so I have a question. I would go to church in Easter and Christmas, and I would I would hear the pastor at our Lutheran church say that your God is a lamb. Now, why would you want God to be a lamb? I mean, think about it. God, a lamb? That he gets slaughtered? And I said, why wouldn't God want to be a T-Rex or a rhinoceros? I mean, that's sexy. And she takes me back into the Old Testament, and she breaks open the story of Moses. And I had watched the Ten Commandments as a kid because, you know, I love Charlton Heston. He's from Michigan. And so she took me back from the Old Testament and, and the blood on the doorposts and the lamb and then the fulfillment in the New Testament, the story of our faith, the Old Testament blossoming into the new. I was I was woman on fire. I literally... <laughs> I fell onto my knees, onto her linoleum floor, Mm -hmm. and gave my life to Christ. I was sobbing, and it was like a spotlight went off in my my life. I was blinded by the truth, Mm -hmm. and I couldn't believe that I had spent 35 years walking by the man, the God that died for me. Mm -hmm. I had ignored him. I had mocked him, and I made a pact that day that I would spend the rest of my life glorifying his name and telling the world about him. Mm-hmm. Praise God. It was, it was, yeah, it was, an, it was an incredible moment. 
And she was an ex-Catholic. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. And they were all Catholics, but they all told me their story. And then I find out, you know, Catholics are the largest denomination. The second largest is the ex-Catholics. Right. And they all blame Holy Mother Church for not doing its job. But it's it's more the parents. It's more, it's this sense of um, not understanding our faith, mm-hmm. not valuing our own stories, not sharing our stories of transformation with the world. I think so many Catholics, when I became a Catholic, um, I remember being afraid to tell my story because you feel like, well, the priests or the theologians or the religious would say, no, 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 honey, that's not how you tell the story. And then I started realizing the beauty of the sacred story is the ordinary. It's the people like me, although I'm not very ordinary. I'm I'm a little wacko, but that's okay. (laughs) I'm the kite. My husband says, you know, he holds holds the string of the kite, but he has a wonderful, even though he says ordinary story, it's an incredibly transformative story that has changed the lives of my five children. Mm-hmm. And so all of these beautiful, sacred stories of moments where God intercedes and he's there at every moment. Mm-hmm. Those are the stories we have to tell people. Those are the stories that changes our lives. This woman telling me, yeah, I was lost until I found Christ mm-hmm. was the opening I needed. It not only changed my life, It changed my family's life. And now we have a ministry and we've been all over the world and we will change millions of lives by bringing them to Christ. Why? Because one woman had the courage to share her story with me in a linoleum kitchen. (laughs) (laughs) So, okay. And and you're right. I think um, this, this con, I mean, we're, we're all part of God. I mean, the greatest love story ever lived, right, was was Christ coming to save us and reconcile us with our, with our Father. And we're still part of that story, right? So I, I have a saying that if we do not, if we don't embrace what God has in store for us, then it's going to be like there's this unwritten page and an unwritten chapter in God's story of divine love. And, yes. and so, I mean, you can only write Kelly's story. I can only write John's story in the sense of participating with God, right? So take me to why the Catholic Church. So here you are moved. You're, 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 you know, you, got, you had the moment, got, got knocked off your spiritual high horse. Um, the conversion moment of you just pierced right through your heart of, of and I'm with you, like, when we come, and I'm a revert, uh, never really practiced the faith, but I was born into the faith at a young age and got all kinds of, you have to, we'll have to talk about that later, but most people that hear, hear my podcast know the back, background of my story, but it, it's almost like when we come to come back to, to God and we come to the faith, it's like, man, I wasted so many years of anxiety and just worldliness and hurt and pain and confusion when I could have just been walking along with my father. Right. And so, um, but why the Catholic church? Because I mean, here you are with a, 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 an ex Catholic. Um, and one more point about that is I think you're, you're right. As far as Catholicism is concerned, um, not telling that story. And really we've had probably, you know, 60 years of just terrible catechesis and, um, just people not really, not even understanding, uh, much about the how, um, but even more so the why we believe what we believe, um, not just the what. And so, when, you know, mechanical Catholicism and just really stagnant stuff. So, um, and again, that's for a whole nother show. Um, but why? Okay. <laughs> why, why the Catholic Church? Well, uh, okay. So 
I give my life to Christ. Mm-hmm. I enter the Baptist church and I'm in a Bible study on Hebrews, right? So we spend an entire year r- reading and learning and I'm getting babysitters, you know, eight hours a day, just studying and pouring over the Bible in a storage room in the basement, hiding from my husband, oh. right? Because I'm like, oh no, I, you know, so he, at the time- your, hus- your husband's not, your husband wasn't, uh, is your, was your husband Catholic or what was his faith background? He was a very cradle Catholic. Okay. So his parents had left the church 50 years, you know, gosh, left the church when they were kids, never went to church. My, my husband always tells the story to my boys. He's such a caveman. He's like, hey, guys, just want to tell you the best looking girls are Catholic. I would go to midnight mass because I'd be scoping out the chicks. I'm like, dude, that is not a story to tell our boys. Right. It's not the reason to go to midnight mass. He goes, it was a heck of a good reason for me. I'm like, right. So that was his story as a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we didn't even get married in a church. We got married in a chapel because his parents didn't go to church. He didn't have a church. Um, we got married on Halloween, but yeah. I, I won't even go into that story. It's way too long and way too funny. You'll have to buy the book for that. There you go. There you go. <laughs> so, um, so, so here I'm, I'm, I fall in love with Christ. I am studying the Bible and all of a sudden I just started as I do now seeping through my pores, this love for Christ. I'm talking about Jesus. I'm, you know, just, I couldn't stop bring his name up in conversation. Mm. Finally, one night, I will never forget this. I'm standing at the top of our staircase and my husband screamed at me and said, tell me now, are you one of those born again, wacko Christians that we hate? And I'm thinking, okay, he's right. (laughs) We do hate those or we did hate those born again wackos. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking, okay, Holy Spirit, I know that you're supposed to talk through me. I know that everybody else says you do. So now's the time. (laughs) I had no idea what to say. Mm -hmm. So I'm standing there and then I go, honey, you're a Christian too. And he looks at me and he says, no, I'm not. I'm a Catholic. (laughs) I'm not kidding. And I thought, oh Lord, we have a lot of work to do. So at that point, him and I literally were butting heads every day. It was a holy war with two small children in the house. Mm. He would come home from work and he would literally bring stacks of apologetic material from Catholic Answers and he'd slam it on the table and he would say, read this. And I'd say, well, did you read it? He goes, no, I don't need to. I'm Catholic. I go, well, that's what's wrong with you guys. Yeah, exactly. Never becoming a Catholic. So then I would take these books and I would slink into my storage room and I would read and then I would try to refute everything, right? Mm. And the more I read and the more I tried to refute and the more I read the Bible and then I went back to the magisterium and then I went to sacred, the first 300 years of the church and Mm -hmm. oh my gosh, I'm in my storage room. I mean, it's a really messy storage room. It's kind of like my brain. (laughs) (laughs) I'm thinking to myself, I have to become a Catholic. Mm. No, because I loved my Baptist church. And I mean, they had 300 people in their choir and the orchestra and the music and the production value was so magnificent. Mm -hmm. And so my husband and I decided to become Catholic and um, in 2000. Mm. And yet we walked, you know, we'd go to church and I would cry on the way home. You know, the music... Mm-hmm. The production value, <laughs> everything that I loved in life as a performer and a producer just 
wasn't there. Mm-hmm. And, and yet what, what really kind of freaked me out was I understood that the Catholics, the real presence of Christ, real presence of Christ in the Eucharist is the source and the summit of our faith. And I knew that. Mm-hmm. But I remember sitting there at Mass thinking, if that is true, mm-hmm. then why do we have singers who should never be singing? Why isn't this the most beautiful music you've ever heard? And it's not. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you, you you hear a homily and you think, did you even spend five minutes? And you know, I know the priests have a lot on their plate, but my goodness, this is a moment where you have everyone's hearts sitting there ripped open, wanting desperately to be transformed, to be led. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, it can be just so disappointing. And um, it broke my heart. Mm-hmm. But we went through RCIA and I fell in love with the Catholic Church for all the right reasons. And then I had a profound vision the night before becoming a Catholic. Well, yeah. Yeah. Okay. You can't just can't just stop right there. Let's go. What's the we're not mission? going to. We're not going to a commercial segment. No. No. I'm kidding. No. This is this isn't uh, NBC or any of the deals. No, but but so, I grew up via commercials. Yeah. So so here's the thing. Going back to what you're saying, and I and yeah. I think once once we understand, because I agree with you, um, the liturgy. I mean, the highest form of prayer for us as Catholics is the Mass. Yes. And 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 absolutely, when we when we talk about the true presence, um, you know, I thought you're going to go to the down the path of if it was really the true presence, why don't we act like it? Not oh in, well, it, you. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> right. So 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 again, being the most reverent, most respectful. Um, you know, bending our knee before the Lord in the sacrifice he made to save our, our wretched selves. Um, but, and I hear you, right? Part of our issue is we, we have this, uh, you know, kind of, I don't know, I don't know what the right word is, but we just kind of have this meh approach to, to the mass, right? Familiarity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Familiarity has breeds mediocrity. Mm-hmm. And that is not what our, our Lord is about. Mm-hmm. And as a musician, as a creative, as a person who sees beauty and art in everything I look at. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the, when I go to a cathedral, I remember my son, he was only 12, and he said to Monsignor Lefevre in Detroit, he said, why can I sit here and hear God, but at my church, I don't? Mm-hmm. And, and Monsignor was so beautiful, and he said, because architecture like this, this this type of beauty elevates the soul mm-hmm. and opens your heart and mind to hear God. Mm-hmm. And he was right. Mm-hmm. And and so as a musician, I know what music does to me. I can sit and listen to a movie score in these tribute videos and I'm sobbing. And my, two of my kids are like that too. We have the gift of tears when we hear great beauty in music or art or even cinematic production quality. So many people, that's why movies are so popular. Mm-hmm. You know, we go to movies to feel something. Mm-hmm. You know, movies are beauty and art and story. Mm-hmm. And um, even if they don't have a good message, they this beauty and art conveys something to us that can rip our hearts open and change our lives. Mm-hmm. Well, that to me is what the mass is. And now, you know, being in the church for 18 years, mm-hmm. I can go to mass and I don't care what the homily is. And mm-hmm. I really don't care, you know, if it's the worst singer in the world, I'm there with Christ. Well, you're there, you're there to worship. And I, and I think, right. So, so I think as you mature, right. And I think this is the challenge we have with, um, only appealing to the senses and to the emotions, right? So as you mature in your faith, Mm -hmm. you're saying, look, 
I, are all those things important? Yes. Do they help? Yes. But the most important thing is that I'm there to worship God and give him what is deserving of what he did for us. Right. So I'm not there for the, the, the my my social life. I'm not there for the homily. Great I'm not music. The, yeah. Great music. Um, the smells and bells, even those those do appeal to the senses. Um, but you're absolutely right. We should approach. We should. And this is for everybody out there, anybody who's a liturgical minister of some sort, right? Anybody who's part of the music, it, 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 it should elevate us to a higher sense of worship for God. Um, yes. Not, but you just, not distract oh, us, not distract us, but right. elevate it, right? So in other words, I, and, and I get, it fires me up even in some of your best uh, or better parishes when everybody wants to sit there and applaud the choir and applaud. It's like, you guys, like even, and right? Because, hey, you hear something, right. that's awesome. But you are you do not understand why we're here. We're not at a concert. You know, we're not we're we're there for the sacrifice that our Lord made. So that way you and I, the rest of us, the mystical body of Christ actually have a shot at heaven. Right. That's right. So that's that. Mm-hmm. And that, and you said that you said, you know, now that, you know, where I'm at in, in sense of maturity, mm-hmm. I don't need that. Mm-hmm. But here's the problem. 80% of our young people are leaving. Right. 18 to 23 okay. years old. So, yeah. And so we, we are literally hemorrhaging as a church. I, I often say, you know, sometimes I look around and I think, you know, maybe the, you know, administratively, we're rearranging deck chairs on the Titanic here, guys. We 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 need to recognize the hemorrhage. Mm-hmm. And and like Alpha and Alpha for Catholic, one of the founders said, you know, when you just catechize with words, um, you are like planting seeds on sidewalk, mm-hmm. right? People have to encounter. Christ. Mm-hmm. People's hearts have to be open to Christ. You know, when I became a Christian, it was because I had a moment in time that I opened the door to Christ and then I encountered him. Mm-hmm. Right. And so we have to have this moment or, or a, a gradual moving toward that moment, but it has to be this authentic encounter experience. Mm -hmm. And I think we are lacking that in the church. I had a woman say to me after seeing the production that I've written um, uh, called Cross and Light. And she said, I've been going to church for 65 years. I never knew he did this for me. Mm -hmm. I said, possible. Mm -hmm. My mother-in-law converted and became a Catholic because she said when she saw Christ in the garden, afraid and crying out to his father to let this cup pass for me. Mm. She said, wait, wait a minute. Jesus was God. He didn't feel pain. He wasn't afraid, was he? Mm. I said, he was fully human. Mm. He was fully divine. She had an encounter with God and her heart was ripped open. And she was literally thrown at the foot of the cross to see who Jesus is, what he did for us, and why. Mm. Because he did this out of love. Mm-hmm. If she was the only person in the world, she was there in this moment, in this production to see that Christ died for her mm-hmm. when she didn't care about him, mm-hmm. when she was still in her sin. Mm-hmm. He was obedient to the point of death on a cross for all of us. Mm-hmm. And so this is what I'm seeing 
with hundreds of testimonies coming from our work, coming from this vision I had, which we'll go back to, but mm-hmm. it, it's this authentic encounter with Christ in this moment. And it's beautiful music. It's beautiful cinematic production value. It's beautiful actors and, and, and cinematography and, and sets and staging. And people are immersed in this beauty and this goodness to hear the truth authentically proclaimed. Mm-hmm. And so look at the look at the Renaissance. Mm-hmm. You know, we come out of the dark ages and what did the Catholic Church do? They commissioned the greatest artists of the time to create the most beautiful artwork. Why? To tell our story. Mm-hmm. Look at the stained glass. What is it? It's stories of our faith go into any cathedral, any church. Every window is another story of our faith, a sculpture, the Pieta. It, mm-hmm. It's a moment into this woman's suffering of holding her baby boy horrifically murdered in front of her. And she knew he was God. Mm-hmm. And she said, yes, anyway. And she held him. And you can look in her eyes and you are transported to that moment. That's why art works. That's why beauty works. That's why music works. It rips open our hearts. It crosses the barrier of the intellect and it rips our heart open for just that moment so that God can then plant a seed. So yes, we can learn more intellectually and go deeper into our faith. But those moments are so significant and I have seen it with 140,000 people from Detroit to Australia. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay, sorry, I just vented. No. Woman, please pour some water on me. <laughs> no, <laughs> and make because, sure. <laughs> be, uh, because I, I think, you, I mean, you're, you're onto something, right? I think is we're missing this opportunity where people actually see a vibrant lived faith see something that is authentic, genuine. I mean, especially with our youth today, right? What they don't see is a, a vibrant faith. People getting excited about their faith, talking yeah. about Jesus, saying, no, look, I, I want that. Yeah, I want <laughs> what you have. Like, nobody's going to convince Kelly. Nobody's going to convince John. You're never going to convince me as I stand today that there is any other God but the God that we worship and the Father, Son, right. Holy Spirit, that there's any true church other than the Catholic church. Now, y'all got to figure this out, but I'm saying, look, I am a soldier for Christ. I am a, 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 a son of the most high God. Now, does my life speak to that? Because if you think that just kept, I mean, uh, you know, I just had a, a good friend of mine, Douglas Beaumont, who's our DRE at uh, our parish on uh, my last show um, or the last episode release. And we were talking about this issue with the youth leaving the church. And our biggest problem is, you know, it's like we're over here just like we're just Catholic widget building machine, right? People coming to be sacramentalized. They don't care about being catechized. And we forget that evangelization precedes catechesis, right? Just the proclamation that guess what? There's a God who loves you, who died for you and wants nothing more than for you to experience abiding joy and peace. And so when people, yeah, so when people see us on fire, more on fire for, for God, for, then they're like, all right, there's something there because John may be crazy, but he's crazy. He's a crazy, he's crazy <laughs> for the Lord. But you know, let's, let's just try to figure that piece out. Yeah. I'm a fool. Yeah. For, I'm full for Christ. No, no doubt about it. Um, so oh, I'm behind you, brother. <laughs> I, I'm following you anywhere. All right. I'm in the trenches with you now. But, I'm a convert to John <laughs> story. No, but, but I love it because you are the face of 
the young man and a really good looking face. Your wife snagged a good one. Dang. I'm telling you. Wait, you, you got to see my bride. She's, uh, you know, I, I'm, she's, the, I'm the one who lucked out. Just don't. <laughs> well, she, she's a saint. Yes, she and is. And what'd you say? She'd been driving the train or uh, yanking. She'd, she'd been pulling. pulling. The, she'd been pulling the train for a long time. So yeah. um, I am very. Man, <laughs> I'm indebted to God and to her for so much. So yes, there's a reason. Yeah, we're, there's a reason why I'm able to sit here and talk about Jesus, and it's be, it's in large part to that woman. So yes, yeah. I'm very blessed. This is awesome. And you know what? That is so okay. To your point, people talk about the theology of the body, mm-hmm. right? They talk about the sacrament of marriage, mm-hmm. and they put it in terms that you're like, hold hold on, I got to read that paragraph again. Mm-hmm. Okay, hold on, hold on. I'm a college-educated person, but I'm going to read it the third time, and I still can't really figure out how how do I live that out. Mm-hmm. You just said it, right? Mm-hmm. When when you become a man and a woman through the sacrament of marriage, you become one. Mm-hmm. She was pulling you because you and her were one, mm-hmm. and she needed you to be one with her, and she would have done anything. Mm-hmm to bring you to where she was because she understood God's love. Mm-hmm. And she also understood that her vocation was to do whatever it took to, to wait, to be patient, and to love you so that you could see the beauty of your father's love, as you just put it, right? Mm-hmm. So my husband and I, we, we, were, we had an all-out drag-out war, and it wasn't pretty a couple weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And we've been really thinking about this theology, the body thing. Mm-hmm. And we realized if we are truly one, we would never hurt each other that way. Mm-hmm. Because being one means that I have to love you, even though I don't agree with you at times. But I have to even be kind and loving when we fight because we are hurting ourselves. Who goes around hurting yourself, right? Mm-hmm. You don't do that. If we understand we are one, husband and wife, mm-hmm then we can love each other the way God intended us to love each other. And that theology of the body, again, lived out in your story with your wife, my story with my husband. My goodness, I mean, we are so lucky Mm -hmm. to be in a church that can teach us this. I just think we need to get put it in terms that's more caveman like. You know how I told well, you my husband yeah, man? to distill right. it. To distill it. And I and I get it. I'm a, I'm a both my wife and I are third order Dominicans life professed. Okay? Wow. So so part of our charism if you will is to connect the dots. Take the the richness and truths that we know of our faith and of our God and connect them to the to the reality around us in the culture today. And um, but you got to live it first. Right. I mean, you got to be able to live it, breathe it and then say, OK, now how do I take this theology, which is beautiful. You got to yeah. you got to aspire to that and get there. I'm not saying so. For those of you out there, read. Right. Learn about your faith because you have to understand the why. But you got to live it before. You know, I mean, get, you probably have to do both. Right. To, to be able to understand it. But one of the things I just wanted to share and then we're going to go back to your vision. One of the things that my oldest son. So I have three children and my daughter's the oldest. I have my oldest son. I'm talking about two, my two, uh, two sons uh, after her. But my oldest son, I remember trying to under try to ask him as he grew into, into an adult. All my three of my children are adults. And um, I said, OK, what did it? You know, parents are always worried. As a father, I'm always worried about you losing your faith, making the wrong decision, uh, yeah. uh, going through some pain or tragedy that could have been avoided. But specifically yeah. about the faith, what can you share with me as an adult uh, owning the faith? And he said, you know, Dad. Here's the thing. Live your faith. And if we respect you, if we trust you, we're going to want to do exactly what you do. 
Amen. Exactly. But live it. Yeah. They're watching. Always John. watching. They're watching. Yes. A priest friend of mine who is my my fifth child, Blake's godfather. We had heathens in our family on both sides. It was really hard finding godparents. Oh, yeah. So we're like, Father Brown, we need you, man. We're on the fifth kid. <laughs> you know, we, and my daughter, we're like, I, I think she became like a temporary or, you know, I don't know what they called her at the time. She wasn't of age yet. So she was going to be the godmother because we were desperate. We, mm-hmm. So, but we called him and I remember asking him, what was it that that allowed him to know God in such an intimate way his whole life? He always had this wonderful faith. He said, because my dad was like 6'2", he said. My dad was the biggest man in the world. He's a hockey player. He's a cop. He was the biggest, baddest, strongest man in the world. And I knew it when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. And yet my dad, every mass, every day, was on his knees in front of us kids. And he said, I remember the moment I was sitting there and I looked at him and I thought, wow, God must be a really big God. If my dad, strongest man in the world, Mm -hmm. is on his knees in front of him. Mm -hmm. So they're watching. And men sometimes have a harder time talking about their faith. Uh, My 24-year-old was talking to my husband about that. She's very much like him. She was a D1 college athlete. She's a warrior princess, man. She's amazing. She's in law school, just eating it up. Mm. And she's just like my husband, man. They're very disciplined people. Mom's kind of out there, the creative type. And, you know, they love mom, but that's mom. (laughs) And she said to him, you know, the reason I have such a strong faith is because of you, dad. And you don't talk about it all the time, but I watch you and you say your rosary before every college game I ever played, before every hockey game that my little brother plays, before every softball game. My husband is in a church in California at tournaments five hours a day in between games praying for my daughter's safety, for her happiness and for her awareness of God's presence in the moment in her life, on the ball field and the rest of her life. Mm-hmm. He is praying for those kids and they see that. Mm-hmm. Now mom's on the air with you talking about it. Mom's writing books. Mom has a show that's around the world, you know, transforming lives. But dad is the one that matters mm-hmm. to her. Mm-hmm. And she said, dad, I need a husband to raise my children like you because I will never leave the faith. Because I know it's real, and I know that you made a logical choice. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's the key. The key thing, right, is the choice. And and I think we talked about this obviously before we started the interview. And so for the listeners out there, especially the men, um, it, it's really it, it's really critical and key that you understand the impact and influence you have, whether you decide to to bend the knee before the Lord or not. You're telling your child something, um, both uh, the, the young men and the young women that we're raising in our homes. But I shared with you, Kelly, bef- uh, before we started with the interview, that <clears throat> what's it's it's somewhat of an unfair situation for our, for our, for our, our women out there because you bear our children, right? Um, you go through that. Yes, that, that, yeah. we do. <laughs> yeah. Head first, baby. <laughs> That's right. So <laughs> so you give. Just you- to make sure you understood the importance of that. That's moment. right. So you you figure you give your body. You, you know, emotionally, spiritually, every you're there. And uh, uh, all of us children, because we're all children, right? Um, we, we take for granted our mothers because they're just supposed to love us. 
right? And, and that's kind of what we, I, I think what I've realized in my own um, maturation and own personal reflection is that, you know, moms have a, a difficult thing because we just expect them to love. Fathers, on the other hand, especially because we, we're experiencing such a fatherless generation uh, with 41% of children being born into fatherless homes, that fathers choose to love. They, they, they make a decision, a conscious, a logical choice, as your daughter put it right, to, to actually bend the knee before the Lord, to make prayer, make God a priority, to make family a priority, to, um, to, to be the man that God called and created him to be and all of us. And so it, it's, it's critical for the listeners out there, especially for the men. Obviously, we're, we're getting a little bit off track here, but that's probably going to be the case with Kelly and myself uh, being <laughs> so on fire uh, about yeah, faith. Yeah, four hours from now, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm going to have to get a snack because I'm going to get hungry. <laughs> no, no kidding. We'll have to give you a lunch <laughs> but break. You're, but you're so yeah. right. And John, you should write a book about this mm-hmm. because that from your perspective as a father is so important. Mm-hmm. It's also important when your kids go off to college, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, kids don't appreciate what they have. Well, actually, human beings don't tend to appreciate what we have, the blessings that God has poured out on our lives mm-hmm. until we go away and look at it. So my sons and daughter, I have three in college or um, one in law school, like I said, but um, I have one who has been in Budapest the last uh, three months Mm. and uh, another who is a freshman at college at Grand Valley. And both of our boys, when they went to college, what they said blew them away. And they all went to Catholic schools, Catholic high schools is family Mm -hmm. and how conservative large five kid and up families are looked at at their colleges as this bad thing mm. that 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 we being conservatives that we have a strong devout faith that we have family time that we have a large family mm-hmm. and that we believe very strongly in in the truth mm-hmm. that's not very well accepted in the world mm-hmm. and the boys both came back blown away at, at the importance and the joy of being in a large family. And, and you know, people will say to me, oh, it's the holidays, you know, do you see your kids? I'm like, are you kidding? Everybody is always at our house sleeping over, you know, <laughs> hockey parties with a hundred kids in the basement, I swear, uh, coming out, you know, all, all, all the staircase and people sleeping everywhere. It's wonderful. Mm-hmm. But people love to be in our home with our family because they're is so much love mm-hmm. and so much grounding, but there is also this, uh, gosh, very tangible sense of joy. Yep. And that is because we we love our Lord and it is his home. He is Lord of our home. That's right. And our kids understand that. And people come over and they they feel that, that sense of welcome. Mm-hmm. And we're missing that in today's world. Oh, yeah. Yeah, just the, the communities of love, right? They start first at home. You know, you want to change the world, go home and love your family. I think St. Mother Teresa said, yeah, right? Again. <laughs> there you go. So let's you go. keep coming up with these awesome, like, bumper stickers. <laughs> I that know. Was Mother Okay. I think I think I was saying, but I'm just I'm I'm just reusing, right? I'm just I'm re- retweeting what uh, the saints have told us beforehand. So um, yeah, well, that's called, honey, that's called research. <laughs> <laughs> there you go, reading up. So let's go back to the vision. What was the, oh. the, the, the that that vision that uh, that you had? Um, that you were speaking about. Okay. So imagine 
being in this incredible Baptist church and the music and the production value is just, they're on fire. Mm -hmm. And I get into a Catholic church. I'm becoming Catholic in the year 2000, which I think is such a pivotal year. Mm -hmm. So many people came into the church that year. It's just, it's so cool. Mm -hmm. um, so it's 2000 and the RCIA instructor, I was her problem child. <laughs> I was the one always with my hand up going, excuse me, um, actually the magisterium says yeah. <laughs> so she'd be like oh kelly would you like to just come teach the class yeah you're more you're more catholic than those in the rcia process oh right now. my <clears throat> gosh so yeah so um she said to me you are just so uh i guess obsessed would be the word mm. with christ's passion i'm a passionate this this is how the you know on Fridays, man, whew, Fridays are a tough day for me mm -hmm. because this is our Lord's day and mm -hmm. I connect with him through his suffering. Mm -hmm. And, and um, if you've ever read the Journal of American Medical Association, the report on Jesus's autopsy report, mm -hmm. it is so profound and so life changing. I probably read it 10 times. Mm -hmm. um, what he suffered for us physically in his humanity is unbelievable. It's 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 a medical doctor doing an autopsy report on the biblical account of his flogging, on his arrest, on his imprisonment, mm -hmm. all the way carrying the cross and then being crucified. Mm -hmm. And it's incredible. If you want to read it, it, it will change your life and change your view of what he suffered for us. Mm -hmm. So she said, Kelly, um, make sure you go to the stations of the cross on Good Friday. And I said, what is that? Never been in a church on a Good Friday. I'm 37, right? Mm. So my husband and I thought, oh, okay, well, we'll go. So we go, and um, very few people there, except for the blue-haired army and their rosary beards. Well, <laughs> praise God. But they were there praying for all of us, That's right. doing their work. And I tell you, I love those. The, the blue-haired army is amazing. I'm going to be one of them someday. <laughs> I don't know if I'm going blue, though. <laughs> but, but so we go, we sit down. And then the youth group is doing the Stations of the Cross. And so they each walk to the Ambo and they have a cross and and they would say the Stations of the Cross, the first one, and they would declare and proclaim Christ's passion with no passion, mm. with an organist who I think had broken a few fingers. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm thinking to myself, and I am literally in my spirit crying out to God, why would you put me here? Mm. This was so painful. I mean, this is Christ's most important moment to me and his suffering and no one was here and the production value was so bad and I was crying out to God why would you put me here it reminded me of my whole childhood when I was in pain and suffering why would you put me here mm -hmm. and, and 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 wanting to take my own life well I'm crying the same cry out to our Lord and during the second station when Jesus is being flogged I start feeling horrific pain I look over the altar at Our Lady of Sorrows Catholic Church. How providential is that? Mm -hmm. And I see the most beautiful vision, a musical. I, I see it over the world, the crucifixion. And I didn't know it then. I know it now. That was our mother picking me up by the scruff of my neck and putting me at the foot of the cross and saying, look at my son. Mm -hmm. Look what he did for us. Mm -hmm. Now go tell the world. Because my son is trying to pour out his love and mercy on a world that wants nothing to do with him. Mm -hmm. And I'm just sobbing. I couldn't speak, which is a miracle, my husband says. <laughs> and I'm, I'm sitting there. We get done with the, the Stations of the Cross. 
And I finally am able to breathe. And I hear God loud and clear. It was like James Earl Jones from heaven. I swear, (laughs) this is why you're here. My whole life, the Miss America pageant, my, 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 my years on the road as a performer, um, becoming a producer, all of the things I had ever done in my crazy type of life mm-hmm. made sense at that one moment. Mm-hmm. He said, this is why you're here. I saw this vision. Two years later, we started our first living stations with a ragtag group of 20 you know, uh, people in our local church. But you know what? When I look back on it now, I kind of giggle and laugh. I mean, we weren't professional at the time, but what we learned was that we profess Christ's passion through music and beauty and visuals and lighting and sound and costumes. And there's so many miracle stories that you have to read in the book. It's it's such a cool story. But but you know, this this church was packed to the gills. Standing room only in a church on Good Friday that I'd been in two years earlier where there was hardly anyone there. We turned hundreds of people away when they heard about what we were doing. And we worked for weeks to get this together. And and as we're taking the body of Jesus out the church after his death, people are, you know, men are picking their children up just to get a glimpse of what Jesus might have looked like. Mm. You know, and and people are reaching out to touch him. Mm. Why? Because... People desperately want to feel God in their lives. They want more. Our kids want more. And it's not just this feeling. Mm -hmm. They want to encounter him. They want to know that, you know, I've been going to mass all these years with my mom and dad, and my kids would tell me it was torture on them Mm -hmm. until they encountered him. My kids, one of my kids went to Kairos, Mm -hmm. um, this beautiful, wonderful, transformative experience that changed her life in high school. Mm -hmm. And she came home and she cried for three days. And this kid doesn't cry. And she said to me, Mom, I, you know, I'd go to mass and it was torture at times. And I was afraid there was nothing more. Mm -hmm. I met Jesus Mm -hmm. and there is so much more. Mm That's what people want. Mm -hmm. And that's what our show does. So 10 years later, I have all these crazy visions. God wakes me up out of a sound sleep in, well, not 10 years, but it was like 2009 Mm -hmm. and says, write the music. I'm like, okay, do I get up and write the music? No, I went back to sleep. I'm like, you must be talking to the wrong person. I don't write music, right? (laughs) So so an hour later, um, he taps me again and says, write the music. And I'm thinking, all right. So I get up and I'm thinking, I don't write music. And I was like this little autistic kid. I mean, I literally took pieces of paper and my husband came out into the foyer and there were hundreds of pieces of paper with just lyrics after lyrics. And then I would take them all in front of the blessed sacrament. And what I was trying to do was flesh out Christ's passion to his death in the moment. Nobody writes for the moment. I mean, what is it that Mary felt at the foot of the cross when she knew this was her son who God had overshadowed her and placed you know, God's spirit, God's son in her womb. She knew he was God. She knew that he was sinless. And yet they not only tortured her and him and put him on a cross, they were mocking him and spitting on him. 
And she stood there. And what I realized is she was still saying yes to God. She never said no. But as a mother, John, what would she ask for? And what just poured out of me as I'm watching my three children walk themselves to the bus stop. I've got a baby in one of my arms. My kids said, can we walk to the bus stop alone? And I'm like, yes. And they're holding hands, their little feet, first time ever walking to the bus stop. And of course, I don't take my eyes off of mm-hmm. them. And I'm thinking, I love those babies so much I would kill for them. Mm-hmm. And I'm sorry to say it, but I would not hesitate mm-hmm. if somebody, you know, hurt my kids. I mean, mm-hmm. that's probably not a good thing to say on the air, but holy yeah. smokes, it's that mama bear instinct, no, right? I'm with you. Oh, so I'm watching that and, and I said, mother, how? Did you not lash out at everyone? Mm -hmm. What did you say? I mean, what were you feeling? Mm -hmm. And it was then that I realized she was begging God, probably for the first time. She demanded, end his agony. God, my father, hear my plea. Have mercy on my son. End his agony Mm -hmm. and take him home. Mm -hmm. And so she stood and said, yes, but the pain And it comes out in these lyrics and in this song in such a way that every mother in the audience is slain at the foot of the cross like never before, Mm -hmm. because that's what music does. Mm -hmm. And each of these songs are a moment. What was Jesus feeling in the garden? Mm -hmm. Well, we have a song called Not Crucified. And, um, And I was begging God, you know, just allow me to know your pain, Jesus, in the garden. Be careful what you ask for, (laughs) because God, you know, when you're being very intimate with God and you say, I want to suffer with you, it is so difficult. Mm -hmm. And it took me to such a place of betrayal. Mm -hmm. And in my own church, I was betrayed in such a way. Lies were told. The priest got involved. I was told I did all of these things. And I sat there in a department store with my babies in the back row when I get the phone call, sobbing. That all I had done as a volunteer working 60 hours a week to bring Christ to people, I was being betrayed by a friend Mm. who who loved me and should have known my heart. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden it dawned on me, oh my gosh, Lord, I asked you to show me your pain. Mm -hmm. And then so much came the pain of the betrayal, the pain of the the people he loved that he knew would run away. And now he sees a world, the people that should know him and don't, that causes him the most pain. Mm -hmm. And as he's crying to his father, I mean, think about it. He knew what crucifixion was. Mm -hmm. They had seen thousands of Jews being lined up into Jerusalem, being crucified. I mean, this was an instrument of great torture. Everyone in that day knew exactly what they, they that was. And Romans were experts at prolonging a torturous, horrific death. Mm-hmm. And Jesus knew exactly what that was. Mm-hmm. And he is crying out to his father, you know, and I'm thinking to myself, well, you know, it'd be a lot easier if I knew I was getting my head chopped off or if I could take a pill and go to sleep. Right. Mm-hmm. But he had to suffer in this horrific way And he asked his father to take that cup. And it's called not crucified. And in the beginning of the song, he is afraid in all of the reasons that that allow him to sweat blood, the trauma of what he knew was coming. 
and how he was begging his father and the pain in that moment. My brother was an agnostic, right? New ager who hated the Catholic church. The first time he saw this presentation, he brought his mother-in-law who had become a Catholic. He drove her five hours to see my cheesy church show, he said. As he's sitting there during this song, he realized Jesus had a choice. Hold on. Jesus was afraid. He felt alone. He was struggling with this and he did it anyway. And then Judas's song, when he betrays Christ, Judas is screaming in his song, why, you know, Jesus, stop wasting my time. He heard himself saying the same thing to God in his life. These things came together. It convicted him. He said, God threw him at the foot of the cross, broke his heart open. He gave his life to Christ, you know, an hour later with me sitting in a pew afterwards. Wow. He became Catholic in 2016. I'm his daughter's godmother. Praise He's God. He's on fire for the Lord. I mean, this is, this is why this cross and light, this vision was given to me because I say, yes, every single day, Lord, what can I do to bring one person more to Christ? Mm -hmm. These songs are moments that were birthed, not because Kelly knows how to write songs. I've never written a song in my life. Okay, I take that back. I read, I, I used to write really raunchy comedy songs when I was a performer in the secular world, mm -hmm. and I was really good at it, but I couldn't use that, <laughs> you know, and they were parodies. Mm -hmm. But these songs are beautiful, and they're in the moment, and people are transformed along the way. And each one of them tell the story in the moment from Christ's entrance into Jerusalem, his horrific death, all the way to his, his resurrection to Pentecost. And we don't know the rest of the story. When I found out that the most important moment in Jesus's ministry was not the crucifixion, I always thought that was the most important moment. Mm -hmm. And then God revealed to me that wasn't the most important moment. And I always ask everybody in my speaking engagements, mm -hmm. who thinks the cru crucifixion is the most important moment? Everybody puts their hand up. No, nah, it's not. What do you think is most important? He, you know, when he resurrects, they all raise their hands. Not that either. When did Jesus rejoice in the Bible? Only one time. He sent the 72 out to proclaim the good news, the gospel, mm -hmm. and to heal. Mm -hmm. And when they came back to him and they said, Lord, you know, you put your spirit inside of us. We went out, we proclaimed the gospel, the good news of your resurrection, of your death and resurrection, the salvation of the world. And we healed people. Jesus rejoiced for his greatest accomplishment is when he took the spirit of God and he poured it out into humankind, into human men and women, ordinary people. Mm -hmm with the Spirit of God called on an extraordinary journey. That's what this show is all about. Mm. We know Jesus's story, but this story is about ordinary people called on an extraordinary journey, and that's why it changes lives. Mm. And so it's called Cross and Light. Mm. We've been from San Diego to Tampa, Florida, to Detroit, to Australia, 140,000 people. And um, we're working on raising funds for a movie, a new media adaptation with um, the animation expert, um, uh, Michael Hemshoot, who did the animation for The Matrix mm -hmm. and National Treasure. Mm -hmm. He contacted us and said, what you got going is so extraordinary, but let's create a hybrid 
of beautiful cinematic production, performance film, and animation like no one's ever seen before. And let's get this story told in a way that will change the world. And he's the guy to do it. We just got to raise a million dollars. That's all. (laughs) So, John, (laughs) you got any money back there? is the podcast doing <laughs> you always gotta ask right yeah of course yeah we just <laughs> yeah. Mi- we just missed giving tuesday right Come oh on. man yeah <laughs> so, i didn't even ask so hey yeah. you know what here's the deal for all the listeners and viewers out there um so it's crossing light is it crossing light cross and light crossing light yeah it's Go see um, Cross and Light is the show. Mm-hmm. And the website is cross and spell out the A-N-D mm-hmm. light dot com. Okay. And if you want to, you know, um, there's lots of wonderful links. You can buy tickets to all of our live performances across the country. Awesome. Um, we're hoping right now we're working on pray for us, us pray for us. And um, we're hoping that we um, have an opportunity to bring this to the Texas Corpus Christi and San Antonio dates of fullness of truth. So we're hoping yeah. um, and we'll know in a few days um, we're going to be in Chicago, Geneva, Illinois. You can go to the website again. Um, hit on um, on the homepage, a little button says buy tickets. You can see all of the dates. We're going to be in a large arena in Omaha, Nebraska, June, I think it's June 8th or 9th. That's on the website. Mm-hmm. Um, they're expecting about 15,000 people there um, for Cross and Light in their community gathering event. And, and um, you know, just keep praying for us because we're out there doing the Lord's work. People that come, they encounter Jesus in an authentically Catholic um, incredible life-changing encounter. Wonderful. So uh, for those of you listening as well um, that are in the Northern California area, we're actually bringing Kelly out um, to be part of our second annual uh, Relentless Conference, our family conference. And so I, I don't know about y'all, but you know, this has been the fastest uh, hour and 12 <laughs> minutes that I've ever uh, interviewed anybody. <laughs> we're, we're, we're ready over an hour, girlfriend. Um, and so you can see the energy, you can see the passion um, figuratively and, and literally in the sense of, of the work you, that the biggest question I have, can you see the wrinkles of this 55? <laughs> no, the lighting, you know, Hey, you know, it's the lighting, the, the, the lighting I mean, these cameras are good. The filters are good. Um, hey but, man, filters, <laughs> yeah, filters, fil- filters. I don't have filters. That's right. You <laughs> oh, got, we're all children of God and we're beautiful yes, in the eyes are. of God. So, um, Come out and see Kelly. I mean, we, she's she's uh, she's on the list of, of five uh, speakers, which includes Kelly, myself as well, um, Lizzie Rizzi Chapman, um, uh, one of the new converts. Speaking of converts to the faith, we have John Pridmore um, coming out as well as Christine Watkins. And you want to talk about all these conversion stories? We'll have our MC there, Brian Kravick of Possibility Productions. So for those of you listening, if you like Kelly's energy, if you like what she had to say, um, first and foremost, go to CrossAndLight.com. Uh, go see their shows, uh, go donate, right? Donate to the, the cause of them trying to, to bring this to um, the greater world as far as media is concerned because we just don't have enough proclamation of the good news. And I think um, I want to thank you, Kelly, you and, and your family first and foremost for trying to be a holy Catholic family, um, but also for the work that you're doing with your apostolate. So um, I'm excited to bring you out in February, looking forward to uh, the, you know, preaching the gospel with you. Um, thank you for your yes um, and, and, and your humility and um, your openness and your passion, you know, just the, the, the emotion that you shared um, you can see it. It's just it's it's seeping out of you as far as your love for Christ and for Holy Mother Church. And so 
I'm very blessed and, and, and glad that we were able to have this conversation today. And I just want to continue to uh, wish many blessings and prayers upon you, your family, and your apostolate. Thank you, John. And, and to all the listeners out there, if you want to get the book on the conversion story, um, that should be out like February. And we have two other books coming out. I'm working with a wonderful editor that used to work with Matthew Kelly's Beacon Publishing. Um, so three books by February. We're so excited to get them out there. One is the conversion story. I just haven't figured out what to call it yet. We'll see. <laughs> maybe, yeah, maybe. Chris- Maybe we can, you know, uh, send some some uh, ideas out to Kelly about what you we'll make. We'll have a contest. Yeah, we'll have a little contest. So, we're, and if they're going to buy those, Kelly, so they'll be out in February. So, great time. Hopefully, we'll have some at the, by the time of the conference. Maybe, maybe I don't yeah. know. Maybe. Well, uh, I, I'm I'm hoping at least the conversion story. Awesome. Um, and we do have our CDs. You can go to crossandlight.com forward slash shop. Mm-hmm. Um, see a lot of you can get a lot of things for Christmas. Um, our CDs, uh, our T-shirts, lots of jewelry and things like that. Um, but you can also email me at kelly at crossandlight.com. I can always give you more information about the upcoming books um, and anything else, especially the movie. And if you'd like to donate, please contact me. We need help. Again, you know, a million bucks I got to raise. But, you know, Mother Angelica did that, too. That's right. Yeah. You know, she didn't. She didn't have the money to pay for things. I've done that a million times. Lord, I know this is you. I know you want this. Get out of the boat, make it happen. God always shows up, but it's usually in the 11th hour. That's right. Just saying. <laughs> which, which is the stressful part of trying to do the do walk it. with the Lord, it right? Be in the book, <laughs> dot, 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 the 11th hour. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Well, dear sister, thank you so much for your time um, today. We look forward to hooking up with you in February for all the work that you're doing at Cross and Light, for all the work that you're doing for Holy Mother Church. So may God continue to, to bless you and keep you all. You as well, John. I can't wait to meet you in person and give you a hug. Yeah. And meet your beautiful wife, your better half. That's right. Yeah, my better half, the one responsible for this knucklehead here. So, um, And keep going, man. I'm behind you. You are the face of the modern man in the Catholic Church. You're on fire. You're you're handsome. You're fit. You're you're out there. You've got grown children who clearly love the Lord. I mean, man, whatever I can do to help, let me know. Thank you. True faith, real talk. Don't forget to like and subscribe to the show. Continue the conversation online. Visit johnsublon.com. Until next time, get holy or die trying. Godspeed. Godspeed.